Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into Letter to the American Church, a thought provoking and stirring work by the renowned Eric Metaxas. In this 2022 release, Metaxas presents a dual narrative one part cautionary tale, and another a fervent call to action. He entreats American churches to break their silence and take a more proactive role in the socio political landscape asserting that the intertwining of faith and politics is not only unavoidable, but necessary for the moral direction of the nation. Eric Metaxas, an intellectual force with four New York Times bestsellers to his name, and the distinct voice behind the Eric Metaxas radio show, brings his extensive articulation on matters of faith in America to the fore. His body of work spans from scholarly texts to whimsical narratives for children marking him as a versatile and credible commentator on the state of the American church. Letter to the American Church speaks to an audience that includes Christians fascinated by the intersection of faith and governance, Lutheran scholars seeking ecclesiastical insights, and church leaders looking to navigate the complex waters of contemporary societal issues. Join us as we explore how this book could mark a pivotal moment for the Christian community's involvement in shaping the United States' future. Well, Letter to the American Church, a call for Christians and church leaders to learn from the past. Introduction, the echo of history in today's silence. Imagine standing amid a congregation, the air pregnant with solemnity, as a sermon hums in the background but something is amiss. A tension, a silent acquiescence to outside forces that urge this religious gathering into hushed compliance. It's a subtle echo from the past, from a German church in the 1930s, where similar scenes played out, but with grave historical consequences. This chapter will reveal how silence can become complicity, and why it's essential for faith communities to learn from history. Eric Metaxas urges us to look to the past to understand the present. The Lutheran Church in Germany during the rise of the Nazis serves as a cautionary tale how cowering before political powers and societal pressures led to the Church's failure to stand against tyranny. We'll delve into how fear of being political muzzled a Church that once could have been a formidable voice for justice, an urgent call to fearless faith. In the face of adversity, silence is not golden. It's a missed opportunity for boldness. Taking a page from history, Metaxas calls on American Christians to be courageous. There's a resounding call to stop sitting on the sidelines in fear. It's a plea for Christians not just to be spiritual in their individual lives, but to be unafraid of influencing their country's moral trajectory. This isn't about partisan politics or wielding power for its own sake. It's about standing up for what is right in the public arena guiding political action through the lens of one's faith. This chapter serves as a robust manifesto for Christians who've been hesitant to engage in the political sphere. It's a wake-up call, encouraging them to counter errors in faith that advocate for passivity, reminding them of their potential to impart meaningful change, the antidote to apathy, active faith. So what's the antidote to the historical silence and contemporary hesitancy of the Church? It's action, the kind that breathes life into faith 
transforming beliefs into a visible force for good. It's the action that doesn't shrink back at the mention of politics, but engages with them as a natural extension of spiritual commitment. This chapter doesn't just outline the problem. It's a blueprint for how to move forward, shattering the paralyzing myths that faith and public life should remain separate. It empowers believers to contribute their voices to a chorus that shapes society, rather than observes it from the pews. By the end of this exploration, you'll not only understand the historical context of political silence within the church, but also be equipped with the motivation and rationale to lift your voice and act. Metaxas's letter to the American church is more than a read. It's a call to embody a faith that's vibrant, outspoken, and unafraid to step into the public square. Part 1. Rediscovering the Church's True Voice In the cacophony of contemporary politics and cultural wars, where does the Church's voice resonate? Many believe it should be relegated to the margins, far away from the levers of power and decision-making. But if we peel back the layers of history, we uncover a different narrative one where the church and state were not adversaries, but cautious collaborators, ensuring freedom and faith could flourish side by side. This section peers into the heart of the confusion that engulfs modern discourse about the church's place in public life. We confront the misconceptions surrounding the separation of church and state, often wielded like a sword to cleave the church's influence from public affairs. Yet what many don't realize is that this principle was architected not as a silencer of spiritual discourse, but as a shield, preserving the church from the encroaching grasp of governmental control. As we journey through this chapter, we unpack a reality where the church is cast, perhaps unjustly, as the antagonist of love and liberty. We witness a scenario in which voices from various quarters, amplified by media megaphones, seem determined to douse the church's influence, but take heed. Erasing the church from the public square was never the architect's vision for the American Republic. Eric Metaxas stands at the vanguard, issuing a clarion call to Christians, ushering them to reclaim their heritage of courage and conviction. He paints a vivid picture, not of retreat, but of re-engagement, where the church sheds its timidity and once again asserts its relevance on the state stage. His vision elevates the dialogue from the whispers of the intimidated to the bold proclamations of the faithful, encouraging the church to reject the false narrative that it has no place in state affairs and challenging it to take a stand on political issues with unwavering faith. This chapter does not simply lay out an argument, it lights a beacon for Christians to awaken to recognize the power of truth rooted in God's word and to step forward with courage. It's an invitation to set aside fear, to engage actively with the civic realm and to infuse society with the values that the church, at its best, upholds and cherishes. Part 2. Tracing the Footsteps of Faith and Conviction In the tapestry of history and faith, threads emerge that shape the very fabric of Christianity. Two such threads are woven by the lives of Martin Luther and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, men whose influence radiates through time, impacting generations beyond their own. As we seek to understand today's church, 
we turn to these pivotal figures, each marking a watershed in the dance between faith and politics. Martin Luther stands as an enduring symbol of religious revolution. Plunged into a profound existential crisis, he grappled with the prevailing notion that good works were the golden tickets to heaven's gates. His soul's turmoil is palpable as he immersed himself in a relentless quest for spiritual perfection, ceaselessly confessing sins as minute as they were numerous. Yet, it was in the hallowed pages of Scripture that he unearthed the transformative truth. Salvation comes through faith, not by the tally of one's virtuous deeds. Luther's epiphany ignited a theological uprising, reorienting Christianity's compass and reshaping the Church's future. Yet, as we shall see, his revolutionary doctrine of faith over works might have inadvertently set the stage for a more reserved Church, one hesitant to lace its spiritual fabric with threads of political discourse. On the other hand, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, although less renowned among the masses, offers an equally compelling narrative. His life was a mosaic of bold defiance and spiritual solemnity. As a German Lutheran pastor during the rise of Nazism, his words became a resonant outcry against the dangers of hypernationalism and the risks of blurring the divine and the political. Faithful first to God before any nation, Bonhoeffer's stern admonitions against church silence in the face of state matters echo through time. This chapter beckons us to ponder the legacies of Luther and Bonhoeffer, how the former shaped the church's internal self-perception and how the latter's exhortation to vocal resistance quietly stirs hearts even today. It illuminates the dimly lit path that the modern church can take, spurred by the rallying cries for a return to visible, vocal advocacy for truth. It's a testament to how past voices can inform current choices as churches across America awaken to a Bonhoefferian call to stand and speak out with conviction. Part 3. The Prophetic Voice of Dietrich Bonhoeffer One autumn Sunday in the year 1932, Amidst the soaring arches of Berlin's Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church, a young pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer ascended the pulpit. His sermon, delivered on Reformation Sunday, was a poignant tapestry of admonition and foreshadowing, a sermon that would reverberate through the coming tumult of war and genocide. Bonhoeffer confronted his congregation with a stark vision. Their steadfast embrace of tradition was blinding, their observance of holidays and services, mechanical. There, in the heart of the church caught in the swell of rising nationalism, he saw a dangerous conflation of spiritual devotion with national identity. He didn't speak against the love of one's homeland, but Bonhoeffer boldly differentiated between patriotic sentiment and the primacy of God's word. The problem, he articulated, lay in the church's identity crisis, an over-identification with Germany that eclipsed their communion with the divine. He urged his listeners to sever their undue allegiances, to reconnect with God through unadulterated faith and the scriptures. His words that day were prescient, a lamentation and a dire warning. Nearly a decade before the horrors of the Holocaust and the Nazis' gruesome agenda, Bonhoeffer saw the seedlings of catastrophe. He proclaimed unequivocally that silence in the face of evil was tantamount to complicity, a betrayal of the church's call to protect all God's children. 
Tragically, the echoes of his sermon would soon be silenced by conflict. By 1943, the very stones that heard Bonhoeffer's sermon lay in ruins, reduced to rubble by the British air assault. Yet the essence of his message, a plea for the church to wake from its slumber, to heed the call of action, remains timeless. This chapter immortalizes Bonhoeffer's courage and foresight, urging the modern church not to repeat the failures of the past, but to stand as vigilant stewards of faith and protectors of the vulnerable. Part 4. Breaking the Culture of Silence In the annals of history, the omissions of those who stood by idly during moments ripe for moral courage are etched with as much clarity as the actions of those who chose to act. If scrutiny befalls the silent bystander, how much greater is the reckoning for an institution pledged to the lordship of truth and compassion? The church, by its divine vocation, is called to be a beacon of hope and a bastion of justice. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's trumpet call against neutrality resounds as potently today as when first sounded. The church's acquiescence to a hush during the rise of Nazism serves not just as a historical blemish, but as a timeless warning. The silence of those who should speak loudest emboldens the darkness it should dispel. Why does silence pervade, becoming the chorus of many? We'll explore the myriad causes for such a culture. Fear of retribution, discomfort in controversy, reluctance to appear divisive. Perhaps the simplest and most haunting reason is the cyclical nature of silence itself. Silence begets more silence, like a solitary snowflake that heralds an avalanche. A single muted voice can perpetuate a hallowed quiet. Yet this chapter posits hope amidst these grim reflections. It suggests that courage, too, can be contagious. Just as silence can spiral, a singular resolute voice can spark a conflagration of truth-telling. When one dares to break the hush, it sets the stage for others to give sound to their convictions, to rally behind the valiant, and to shift the paradigm from mute acceptance to vocal resistance. This section doesn't just highlight the dark allure of silence. It serves as a rallying cry for the church to find its voice again, to shake off the shackles of apprehension, and to carve out a legacy built on the courage of its convictions. It calls on the church to acknowledge the legacy of its silence and to take up the mantle of Bonhoeffer, to not just witness history but to rise and resonate throughout its unfolding. Part 5. Redefining Faith Beyond Words Silence within the walls of the American church is often perceived as a symptom of devotion, an implicit trust in the divine order that precludes the need to act. This inertia, however, may spring from deep-seated misconceptions about the nature of faith and its demands on believers. This chapter dissects two pivotal errors that have muzzled the voice of the church in matters of state and justice. The first hinges on an interpretation of Romans 13, where Paul, the apostle, advises obedience to governing powers. The misstep lies in assuming these verses extol blind allegiance to any authority, godly or otherwise. Metaxas suggests a discerning perspective. Compliance is not owed to governments that stray from godliness. The second blunder is perhaps an unintended legacy of Martin Luther. 
Luther championed the salvific power of faith alone, turning the Christian gaze inward, away from the outward expression of good works. Over time, this doctrine has been misconstrued to justify passivity. Adding to the confusion, Luther struck the book of James from his translation, a book insisting that faith is inseparable from action. James boldly declares that faith manifests through works, setting the stage for an understanding of belief that demands tangible expression. The American church, and indeed modern Christianity, stands at a crossroads, entangled in a distorted view of faith as mere confession, limited to ritualistic displays. Yet as this chapter eloquently argues, faith, when awakened to its true form, is an unstoppable force, compelling action. To believe in the transformative power of Christ's resurrection, to honor God's commandments, to hold fast to divine principles, all these convictions carry an irrefutable call to action. Thus, the church is beckoned to shed its complacency, to rise from its pew, and to live out a faith that moves beyond silent acquiescence. It is urged to allow belief and conviction to burst forth in action, echoing James's own challenge. Show your faith by how you live, how you serve, and most importantly, how you love. This is not merely a chapter in a book. It's an awakening to the dynamic life faith is meant to be, a life where silence has no dominion, and each act of service reverberates as a courageous declaration of belief. Part 6. Dispelling the Myths of Silent Service The identity of the church is often shrouded in silence, a veil woven from strands of misconstrued doctrines and half-grasped truths. Among these, two idols of falsehood stand particularly tall, casting long shadows over the church's mission in the world. First, there is the golden calf of evangelism, the belief that the sole commission of Christianity is to proselytize. While spreading the gospel is undeniably a cornerstone of Christian duty, its elevation to the singular purpose is a narrow interpretation that sidelines the church's broader call to service and justice. When evangelism morphs into an idol, it obscures the full spectrum of God's work, becoming an end instead of a means to a larger witness in the world. Next, we confront the specter of political abstinence, the notion that Christians should live their faith in seclusion from public affairs. This belief cements the church's lips shut, fostering a misplaced pride in political disengagement. In the shadow of such detachment, faith becomes compartmentalized, removed from the very societal fabric it is meant to imbue with moral clarity. Eric Metaxas throws a stark light on these false idols, drawing parallels to the German church's abdication of moral responsibility in the face of the Holocaust. By holding these idols up to scrutiny, he reflects on the pernicious outcomes of inaction and challenges the church to reevaluate its silent stance. But the narrative does not merely diagnose, it calls for a remedy. In the ensuing section, we'll delve into the transformative realization that Christians are summoned not to a faith of convenience or selective application, but to a wholehearted, unwavering service to God. It's a clarion call to break the chains of silence, to discard the idols that have muted the church's voice, and to embark on a journey of true, fearless discipleship. Part 7. 
Love and Truth in the Face of Modern Challenges. The American church today stands at a societal crossroads, enveloped in a sense of being both self-restrained by silence and externally muffled by forces pushing against its core values. Within the public arena, it is often painted with broad strokes as archaic and intolerant, all labels that serve to stifle its voice and impact in shaping culture. Eric Metaxas lowers his gaze upon this battleground and perceives a trap that the church has fallen into, the allure of being seen as loving without the substance that genuine divine love requires. This concern for appearances might gratify momentary cultural tastes, but it lacks the depth and transformative power of true Christian love, an inconvenient love that challenges as much as it comforts. To embody love as Christ did is no easy feat. Christ himself was a paragon of service and a disruptive presence among the pious order. He washed the feet of his followers, a model of humility, yet in the same breath he disrupted the temple marketplace with a fierce assertion of sacred values. Jesus' embodiment of love was not weakened by confrontation, it was sharpened by it. In this difficult dance of truth and love, the church must recognize Jesus' example. Telling the truth, even when it unsettles, needs not be in tension with the mandate to love. The challenge arises when conversations become combative, when opponents of Christian tenets frame factoids devoid of the broader divine truth. Metaxas warns of the snares that can entangle the faithful when they are provoked into conflict when their words are twisted and used to paint a picture far from the compassion they encompass. He distinguishes sharply between the realm of naked facts and the deeper trove of truth springing from God's word. As believers articulate their faith, navigating the quagmire of public discourse, they are reminded to draw from this wellspring of divine truth, a truth that calls them to love inclusively. Acknowledging the universality of sin and the shared human need for grace and redemption. What, then, does God expect from his church? It is the wielding of truth, not as a weapon, but as a tool for healing, loving even as it confronts, embracing all humanity in its reach for the eternal. This chapter invites the church to a revival of fearless, truthful speech and deeds, urging it to rise above the fray and bear witness to a love that's rebellious in its refusal to be quieted. Part 8. Embracing a Robust and Active Faith The Church today stands on the precipice of history, gazing into the abyss of its past failings, the German Church's silence in the 1930s acting as a somber reminder. With hindsight comes responsibility. We bear the weight of historic knowledge, and with it, the imperative to walk a different path. In the shadow of bygone errors, passivity is no longer ignorance. It is willful complicity. This chapter is a resounding call to real faith, one that demands the courage to shatter the quietude that masks indifference. The Church's role is not only to offer solace through the message of Christ's love and forgiveness, but also to actively mold the world according to the righteousness of God's kingdom. When Scripture speaks of obedience to authority, it whispers a caveat, a line in the sand not to be crossed when decrees of man clash with the divine. Consider the moral quandary faced by a hypothetical German sheltering Jews during World War II. 
confronted by an officer's inquiry, does one adhere to the sinless script or defy it to save lives? This scenario challenges us to understand faith as a vibrant living force, one that operates within the complexities of moral choices where black and white meld into shades of grace. The Bible's tale of Rahab illuminates this very notion that sometimes faith is not a strict adherence to rules, but a nuanced understanding of God's overarching intent. True faith, then, is not a checklist of religious duties, but a dynamic relationship with God that spills into every aspect of life. Christians are beckoned to live out their faith unabashedly, allowing their Christianity to permeate their whole being. Whether in the classroom, the workplace, or amongst friends and family, their identity as followers of Christ remains unpartitioned, unwavering, and unequivocal. This section culminates with a powerful exhortation to truth-telling, a cornerstone of love as Christ exemplified it. To shy away from speaking truth for fear of causing discomfort is to love poorly. Christians are empowered to proclaim what is right and just, grounded in the belief that such honesty is the highest form of love, a love that has no room for the pretense of half-spoken truths. In essence, this chapter not only critiques a muted faith, but champions one that resonates with action, identity, and unabashed proclamation of truth, propelling Christians towards an engagement with the world that is as relentless in its pursuit of goodness as it is in its embrace of love. Final Summary As we reach the culmination of our narrative, one thing becomes starkly clear. The American church is at a pivotal moment in its history, a crossroads that parallels the crucial juncture faced by Dietrich Bonhoeffer's congregation decades ago. The echoes of the past mingle with the call of the present, warning of the dangers that lurk in the shadows of silence. The barriers that seem to curtail the voice of the Christian community are not as insurmountable as they appear. They are constructs of misinterpretation and misplaced priorities barriers that can be dismantled through the steadfast application of faith. Indeed, the challenges that may arise from a more vocal church are not beyond the resources and strength that the faithful can muster with divine support. A passive Christianity, preoccupied with sidestepping political and social quandaries, risks becoming a silent accessory to potential atrocities. The church is thus summoned to a vigilant stance, to stand guard against lapses into disquieting indifference. Each believer is called to a time of introspection, to discern whether their religious expression is a superficial garment draped for show, or the profound embodiment of a faith lived fervently and fearlessly. This final summary isn't merely a closing statement. It's a charge to embrace a faith that is expressive, participatory, and unwaveringly true. It's an exhortation to live in such a way that faith becomes inseparable from action, where silent consent is replaced by courageous dissent, and where the American church can step out from under the looming shadow of its historical parallel and into a future illuminated by proactive grace and truth. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, 
and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.